0: This is a Maybe You Like It production. To find more productions, including podcasts, radio plays, and stage plays, visit www.maybeyoulikeit.co.uk. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. Uh, This This is just something I
1: worked up. I'll do it for you, Maybe You Like It, Maybe You Don't.
0: Hello, I'm Jake, and this is the Maybe You Like It podcast, a podcast where we take a play or film that has never been staged before, or is never likely to be staged again, and we talk about how we stage it. As always, I'm joined by Caleb.
1: Hello, I'm here.
0: Hello, and uh, this week we are joined by the host of the Oxide Film Radio Show, Colette Weber.
2: Hello, yeah, one of the hosts, I
1: should say. One of one of many.
0: Excellent. Um, and this week. We are taking a look at a film called "Sorry to Bother You."
1: Yeah, this is a film from 2018. It's directed by um, Boots Riley. Uh, I believe it's Bo- Boots Riley's debut film. Uh, it stars Lakeith Stanfield, Tessa Thompson, Army Hammer, Stephen Yun, Amari Hardwick, Danny Glover, Terry Crews, David Cross, Patton Oswalt. It's it's an absolutely insane cast, and it's just this like tiny, like small budget. Uh, indie film that kind of like did really good numbers and was was sort of I don't know if it, it, it got uh, some awards show buzz but it yeah it was uh, the
0: uh, independent the one that uh, oh yeah Uncut Gems won yeah the, the film Caribbean's independent
1: Called. spirit awards which are yeah, like, yeah yeah which are kind of like the Oscars for indie films basically um so it got a lot of buzz around stuff like that and it's it's just this kind of crazy wacky film but Colette you're gonna tell us take us through the the plot a bit yeah
2: so as you said it's um boots Riley's debut feature so it's pretty like it's pretty big deal anyway in and of itself um and it's this kind of very surreal and darkly comic satire on sort of corporate culture broadly and the state of labor in the u.s and further Field, I suppose and it follows a young telemarketer uh, Cassius Green played by Lakeith Stanfield as he learns to adopt a so-called white voice in order to climb the ranks at this kind of lowly telemarketing company um, and it all kind of begins to spiral and it's just about the tension between him and kind of whether he wants to profit off of that or whether he wants to have more of a hand in organizing and unionizing, and beyond that, it kind of, um, as I said, it really, it really spirals, and it's just utterly bizarre. Kind of, I don't know, combined like Jordan Peele with like David Lynch with like, yeah, I'd, yeah, it's it's a genre mashup, and it's it's kind of mind bending. Bit as well, so yeah. Without spoiling anything else, I think that's really what it is—a satire on corporate culture.
1: And I, I would say before we get into, it because we are going to have to spoil stuff at some point. Yeah. So before we get into, it, I would say pause now and try and seek watch this thing. out. It's on Now TV, which you can get like a seven-day free trial for, and it's just so worth a watch because it is just—it's like bonkers, but like in the best way possible.
0: Yeah. If this goes out in time, it will be uh, on Sky as well. Yeah, yeah.
1: and it—it it, it just is like it's one of these rare things that you see occasionally nowadays where like a director has just clearly been able to like really put their full vision into um, a, a film and just like, Really, just like take it to all of the strange places they want to, and it just like allows itself to go there. And so, yeah, I would say go watch it and then come back to this. But, um, yeah, let's w- let's get into how we stage it. But, but first, I mean, I guess, Colette, why you chose the film? Why did you choose, uh, choose it? Um, <laughs> yeah,
2: I think why did I choose it? I really like it. First of all, and I I watched it when it came out. So I'm I'm happy that on second viewing, I feel like it really stood up. And I don't mind that it kind of gets away from itself a bit at times. And I just think there are moments in it. It's so kind of, it's so ridiculous. It's so caricatured, but it's also kind of, it's so on the money. It's so apt. I thought this would, this would work so well on stage where you can, Mm. you can kind of, you can, you have license to take things a little bit, a little bit kind of out of scale or kind of, bizarre and caricatured and i just thought this is kind of panto really it's like really dark messed up panto
1: you're like you're speaking our language already this is (laughs) it's exact it is exactly that though there's a kind of theatricality to the whole thing because because boots riley's like building a world in which everything all of the things he's satirizing exist in this world already on the nose. So when he chooses yeah. to be on the nose, it, it works because that's the world that they live in. And and so the satire doesn't feel like it's breaking any sort of boundaries or or like, you know, our our suspense of of, of belief or um for it. But it just like it feels like it's just very targeted and very specifically like targeting certain aspects of our society extremely well and I think that 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 there is a theatricality to the way that that is put together
2: yeah completely and I think uh, we'll obviously go on to this more later when we talk about the actual staging of it but just especially when when I was watching it for a second time I thought oh, okay there was something about this at the time that was also kind of like watching a play in many ways a very cool and technical play but just the physicality of it all so the kind of um It was so reliant on. It seemed to be reliant on a kind of quite like handmade props and stuff, and like even where he lives in his garage feels like very homemade. And the whole thing to me felt like a. It felt like a set in a quite like a deliberate way, rather than being a naturalized world. So I thought, yeah, you could definitely do that. You just need some cardboard and some strings, and like that's it. Yeah. Well, and some other stuff. But.
0: Yeah, and the way the way everything transforms <laughs> right. in a kind of like I I. I I know it's kind of on the nose with the kind of horse's head, but in the way that, in the kind of bottom-esque kind of way of like, even his, in his furniture and that there's a scene where his furniture all, all transforms into kind of better, better furniture. Yeah.
2: That's what I was thinking about.
0: And we're kind of, yeah, we don't feel like we're in a a real place and, and everything we've often found when we do indie films that they're kind of easier because those indie films had a lower budget and they had to find non-CGI ways of doing things exactly. just as we have to do when, when we're working yeah. in physical space. So yeah, I think for that reason, it is it is really promising to get on yeah. stage.
1: Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, so yeah. um, I guess there is that, but there are also challenges along the way that we'll get to. In that There are elements of this film that feel very filmic. There's a reason this story's been told in this medium, which we'll we'll kind of get onto, I kind of want to pitch a, a sort of broad idea to you guys to as a sort of framework to do the rest. Go for it. So when I was first watching, this the first hour or so, I couldn't help but feel like you could do this in a black box studio theatre, and you can have set that is kind of basically malleable enough that it can be like you know the desk is his desk at home and then it's his bed no, his desk at work and then his bed at home. And then it's the desk of his manager whilst he's talking to him. And then it's the, the table they're all sat around at the bar and it kind of a space that is basically just whatever the actors choose it to be in that moment. And you can use kind of stylish lighting and things like that. And then at the back of that space, you would have a kind of a a door. So it would be like a garage door that flips up and then it would like, you could spin it around and it'd be a whiteboard for within the office it could become oh it could become the lift that he goes up to the upper floor in and and all of these things so you kind of yeah desk and a few chairs and this wall and then you also have a tv screen that plays there's quite quite a few moments in this film where where videos are shown and it's some of its news uh some of it's this um tv show he goes on and uh some of it is there's there's a bit where he's shown like a corporate promo video i
0: got the shit
1: kicked out of me (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. it's like a take on like the how ridiculous our reality tv has gotten to what anyone will do to get their 15 minutes, that kind of thing. But yeah, and 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 yeah, and he gets this corporate video shown to him. So I feel like there needs to be a screen on set. So I was thinking all the way through the first sort of hour, okay, we can make this black box. We can keep it tight. We can keep it small. We can make it malleable. And we can try and cut down the cast size to about six to eight people multi-rolling. So they play their main roles, but then they might pick up roles here or there that they need to do. But then there's the moment that he goes to the party in uh, Steve lift played by army hammer in his, in his house. And suddenly the whole film is so much bigger than it was before. Mm. And I think why not use that where we, we use a bigger space, like a proscenium arch type theater, but at that moment in the, in the play, this black box space that that our character's been kind of confined to falls away, and suddenly we're in this huge space, and we go from a cast of six to eight to a big ensemble cast that come in, and they can play the workers, they can play the people at the party, and they can even play, you know, some of the workers that have been transformed into horses, which is something that happens in this film, and and suddenly the this small cramped space that we've been in for the first let's say 45 minutes just falls away into this huge space with a larger cast. And suddenly it has the feeling of a, a bigger show, like a musical or something like that. Obviously the only reason we can do that is because we, we work in hypotheticals where we have all the money in the world. And
0: <laughs> well, you say that you say that, um, I can't remember actually what the production was, but I know of someone who was involved in, there was a yeah. production of something. I can't remember what it was, as I say, at the mm. Hammersmith, uh, uh, a mm. lyric. Uh, Lyric Hammersmith yeah Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah that's it um a couple of years ago and what they did was they had this kind of like community ensemble that they didn't get paid and they just kind of did it as a bit of fun and what they would do is they would every single night and i think they had it on rotation they'd like they do like two days a week every single night they would come in at the interval get in their stuff and then they'd just be in they would in yeah. one scene for like this kind of carnival scene and then they left again and they it was just like a kind of outreach project to get to be on stage
1: you could definitely do that
2: i mean that's basically. Yeah. That's basically what all extras are, anyway, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um. And so, actually, you could do it. It is possible. Um. But it obviously depending on what you want to use them, what to yeah. use them for. Other than that, um. Because yeah, it's a bit like, oh yeah, paying them for half a night. Uh, <laughs> um. But yeah, I mean, in general, I mean, there's, I mean, there's probably about eleven named characters in the show, from my calculations, which is a kind of it's a meaty cast on its own.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, yeah, I guess the only thing is, like Caleb's saying, it there are key points in the film where scale is kind of everything. So I was thinking even about when we first see the office space that he's working in. And as you say, it's like it's something you can really capture really easily with a really good shot because you can make it look as though the desks mm-hmm. stretch back forever. Um and then it means that the scenes where they're first starting to organise and they're first starting to protest protest, they become Quite, quite powerful and quite fun and I the only thing that I kept thinking throughout watching was okay we can't lose that sense of kind of noise or scale and um, I was thinking about ways you could do that if we only had one desk which was his our kind of our main character's desk could we find a way of kind of giving the illusion of more desks whether that's kind of almost like the audience seats are almost like could we incorporate the audience seats in some way, or kind of just giving them? You know um, how in their cubicles they have um, like notes and pictures up and stuff. You could just easily—I don't know—you could just like put something on the back of people's yeah, chairs or something just yeah. to give to give the impression that you know those were their cubicles or they were they were there. Just something because I think otherwise it feels like we don't know that this is like an. Ex- an expansive area. This is like
1: a I tell you what that makes me think of is is this house by James Graham is set in Parliament and they have Parliament seating as part of the set and um audience members sit in parliament as if they're members of, of Parliament. That's
2: it, yeah. Something like And that. I
1: think you could do that where you have an audience, but then they sit in these office cubicles on the stage, maybe. Something like that, yeah. Um and if you have that moving it means that that can be moved to the side to make bigger space later on in the in the show yeah for sure i think that's possible yeah another thing you can do is
0: uh, a little bit less interesting is is those kind of the way you make the stage small like that where you'll have a black hung uh, as a curtain and you'd have uh, these kind of i can't remember what they're made of these kind of sides of the room that you're creating that's small those things yeah. normally can be back projected onto so you can kind of have yeah. kind of the the kind of sight of 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 Cables going off into the distance um it's yeah, harder to, to spend disbelief with that kind of thing um and i really like the idea of having the audience kind of feel like they're they're part of the working masses as yeah. well so yeah yeah, yeah. well and I, I
1: think even if you you had you know, if we're talking about this, it it feels like a small stage at first, and then it just opens up. I'm thinking it opens up in the scene where he moves into the new flat and and everything. His whole world becomes bigger, right? Mm-hmm. Um. So what? Even if it, it, you know, you have the audience and their their whole seating is right crammed onto the stage uh, in these like cubicle seating as well as well as the the main audience section, and then in that scene because you don't need as much wing space when all of that set comes onto stage, you just push all of those seats back as the set comes onto stage. And it's like the whole, it's almost as if the stage is is growing with him as he, as he kind of excels and, and succeeds in the business.
2: Yeah. I love the idea of kind of, like you say, that's like enclosed space and we can actually, we can kind of see that there is more space surrounding it, but it's empty. It's kind of like dead space. And then that, that being pushed back. Yeah. But I think it's important or it would be nice at least in that scene where his life is transforming and I think that whole scene is kind like, of almost like a montage because it's like the music in the background. Yeah. And then it's just I think it's like one of those like very classic kind of indie scenes where it's like him and his girlfriend and like I think they're just like kissing on the bed but then the room is changing around them. Yes. So i was thinking we could do that.
0: They have that push out then they at the end yeah. where they show the size yeah. of it. Yeah.
2: I yeah. was thinking we could do that by just like you say, have we could have people coming on stage and then just pushing back those kind of rolling walls. Yeah. And I, it'd be really cool to actually keep what they do in the film. You know where there's like the television? Yeah, yeah. Is like that big. And then it like, they pull it and it folds out. We could have folding things maybe. Or oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It turns around and stuff like that. That'd be good.
1: I watched a show recently from... Oh, where was it on? <laughs> I can't remember. It, but it was a uh mike bartlett and it was about edward snowden and and at the end of the play he's been in this hotel room the whole time and at the end of the play the the agent who he's been speaking to just goes around and she just touches bits of furniture and they just collapse into the into the floor and they're just like they disappear and then and then the whole stage rotates oh. 90 degrees and he's he's sat like on the wall like halfway up the wall it's at insane i don't even know how they did that's it. very cool. it's cra- it's crazy but i'm not saying we do exactly that but i think in that scene <laughs> you can have things folding yeah. things collapsing other things just sprouting out of nowhere and i think that, that would be really well, interesting an idea. yeah
0: they use uh, a lot of street corners as settings in this film but then once we get past that point we stop seeing the street corners um, and as you say, we get the kind of bigger stuff. So I was thinking, I, and again, it depends on what theatre you're in, whether this is at all possible. But if you could have, instead of going to the wings when the audience move, if you could have those those parts of those audience on stage and we use the space actually left behind by those chairs that they would have been sitting in on the floor as actual stage space on the floor on audience level, as those little street corners just on the kind of bottom, I'm thinking like upstage, left and right, just, on the, just below the raised stage area just those little areas of having like the sign spinning and whatever and then when we open up if we could yeah. have some way almost like a roller coaster of having these seats slide down off the stage and back into position oh, that would allow that opening up that is it would look very
1: cool i don't i don't know if it's cool. really possible but if it was i mean i guess <laughs> i think in, in this house, they definitely have the, the seating is like, it will be like either side of the stage. And then when we go into the main sort of area of action, yeah. that it rotates. So I definitely think there's a way of doing it similar to that. Um, I don't know exactly how that worked, but definitely that thing of that, it is just that feeling of the whole thing just getting bigger. And it's like in that moment, his whole world gets bigger. It's even like, the, the, it's, and it's part of what's so good about the film. Like he the, the character is walking with a slouch the whole time until he gets that job. And then suddenly he's upright. Mm. And mm. it's like, it's so, those little transformations. And you can obviously bring that in in the physical performance. But I wanted to kind of see that in the set as well. Okay, I, the next thing I kind of wanted to talk about is how do we do the white voice so <laughs> i will explain that for people who haven't seen the film the the main character he he is told by an older worker so the main character is is black and he's told by an older worker who is also black that he needs to use his white voice and basically discovers that he he can kind of tap into this Code, it's code switching essentially, but and he can he can use a white voice, which is voiced by David Cross, who is a you know very famous comic, and he uh, and it's dubbed over, and it and it works excellently in the film because it's it's funny and you know it's happening, and someone even says it's like you're being dubbed over in the film, which I love because it's like really acknowledging it. So I guess um, my question is the the kind of two solutions I had for this in my head were either we we actually do pre-record, you know, or we you know even use the recordings of david cross we pre-record that and the actor just has to really get good at miming or you know equally hard we have someone off stage who's doing the voice the the white voice and they're trying to do it along in time with them
0: this this might be the way i was watching the film i might have missed seen it but to me i started off being like oh crap how the hell do we do this this is not possible." and then i saw that it wasn't well dubbed
1: yeah 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 and that's kind of the whole you point
0: could, the lips are not moving at the same time and so yeah. i think Actually, then, as soon as that's the case you're like oh now it's just easy now you just now you just do either of those options probably the live one's better mm. and they don't it doesn't have to match up in fact it's better if it doesn't
1: yeah
2: yeah i completely agree i think i'm reminded of my school production of little shop of horrors because i don't see that many <laughs> plays and <laughs> that one comes to mind. but um so in that in that example obviously you have um the like talking plant on stage and you just have somebody behind the scenes just like doing away. but I think exactly as you say what's so good about it is it's like watching one of those like really badly produced like Italian movies from like the 70s where like all of the dubbing <laughs> is just out and it's so kind of yeah. obviously in that context it's charming just because you're like oh yeah sure like that's sweet but then now I think the reason it works so well just because of the comic effect and also what's good about it too is I one of the things I thought when I was watching the film is we can actually like we can really ham this up like we can play with so many of these things so I thought you could have somebody behind the kind of, you know, like it's like almost like Wizard of Oz or know you're behind like a curtain and they can be doing that the whole film. And it almost, like you say, doesn't matter when they go out of time and we can play on that. And, you know, he can kind of like turn around or he can like, you know, we can make it a little bit meta in that sense, but yeah.
0: Oh, so he could be on stage, you mean?
2: I think they could be not seen but maybe we reveal them like later on or something like that but I think just the idea that we know that they're they're, a, they're present it's not pre-recorded so that we can have little mistakes and so it changes performance on performance
1: yeah uh, even if you have a moment where there is a purposeful missed up yeah. and then you use exactly. that and that, uh, yeah that um, works yeah and
2: then the other thing I thought was the, there's another important aspect of it which is that there are a few moments like when he debuts his white voice for the first time in front of his friends in a bar. Yeah. Um So we can have a kind of bar scene of just we can we can make some noise, but the important thing is that that noise quiets down as he um as he starts speaking. So I thought as long as we did that and as long as in those couple moments we kind of brought it all down, it's like Truman Show style voice of God, and we can have that booming out over the speakers much bigger than what he's actually able to do speaking. On yeah. Stage. Um, I
1: I really like that, and that by using it, you know, whoever's doing the voice from off stage, they literally are doing it into a microphone exactly, through yeah. speakers. It's yeah, that acknowledgement that it's it is artificial, and and I think that that really plays into the, what what this film is trying to say about code switching and about corporate complicity and about engaging in that that world. I think that that's exactly on the mark of what it's trying to say. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, like that, like you say that artificiality. It might be difficult to create initially in a theater but I think w- by using that by having it on a microphone and so we feel you know that kind of tinniness and that kind of that machine feeling that's added as soon as you're speaking for a speaker would work so nicely in contrast with the actual voices on stage uh, so I thought that'd be an exciting thing to do
0: another dubbing moment well not dubbing moment another kind of sound overlay moment is this idea that this um the patch boss man his name yeah his oh name mr is blank,
1: blank is what he's
0: um, cast as why, yeah. why i wasn't he... actually too sure on the significance <laughs> of that i don't know if you guys could enlighten me
2: well i thought that it was just one of those moments like there's a lot of moments in this film which you blink and you miss them kind of thing so i i think i'm right in saying that he has this photo that he carries around with him and in that photo it changes each time he looks at it I'm sure there are other films that have done that, but I just can't think right now what they actually are. So I, I thought it was almost just another one of those moments, they clearly have significance. Maybe you'd have to ask Boots Riley himself kind of thing. I, I don't know if that one, like you say, the beeping out worked as well as some of the other ones because that, that photo was so playful, but the beeping felt a bit on the nose or a bit kind of like...
1: I think part of it is is, is perhaps maybe about this idea of within the corporate machine, you become anonymized. Like this guy doesn't, mm. he doesn't need a name. We don't need to know his name. He's just that guy. He's, you know, and I, I think that maybe is what it's getting at. But I, I think you're right in that like there's there's probably more to it than that.
2: It's also like if you are doing what they're doing, which they're kind of, they're selling slave labor and all these other things, it's kind of this idea that they've also got their hands on the film because they're that powerful and they've entered it to protect themselves
1: yes that's definitely it yeah oh
0: yes the end of the film the very end of the credits it says copyright worry free Uh that's what it says at the end it says copyright worry free um which is amazing
1: (laughs) oh
2: um, we should just say worry free is the name of the most evil corporation here that (laughs) we're concerned with
1: (laughs) yeah it's like it's kind of like an amazon style corporation but like as a worker you sign up for your whole life, and you don 't get paid, but you do get like a place to live and food to eat and all of this stuff yeah. and so it 's basically modern modern but slavery it's but like, it's a it's a wage it 's yeah. a wage slavery kind of comment. Oh, yeah, it makes me think of that, uh, you know, the new Eurovision comedy. I've not seen it yet, but I've I not seen
2: that yet either. I've not
1: heard amazing things about it. But <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it's part funded by Eurovision. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like a satire. It's a satire about something, but funded by that thing. So it can never actually satirize it. Yeah, I love um, so I kind of love that, that, that this is kind of playing yeah. with that as well. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then there's that whole theme of him being asked to be the horse rebel against this company to be paid by them and he ends up doing it for free
1: (laughs) um and this kind of but it's but that's about integrity right it's like you know actually when he's doing it for him and he's part of that movement and it's actually what he believes and he's not being paid a hundred million dollars which is (laughs) it's like they've chosen the perfectly ridiculous sum but it is the integrity of actually being a part of that movement and therefore it, it yeah the the how easily something can be tainted by corporate involvement is is really interesting, right,
2: and I think that's also that's kind of what happens with um with his girlfriend called Detroit as well, where I think initially she's painted as this kind of almost like she's the antidote in a sense to like everything that he's getting involved with initially, but then as it develops, we see her again in her art gallery. And of course, then she has also a white voice, I think. Yeah,
1: voiced by Lily James. Yeah, Yeah. Um, (laughs) which took me a minute to work out because Tessa Thompson's also British, isn't she? So I was like, is she just doing 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 her (laughs) British accent? (laughs) (laughs) And um,
2: there is a split second in that scene where I think we're a bit uncertain as to whether um, Cassius has actually uh, heard her or if that's just a privilege the audience is given. But it's interesting Mm. because it's like, um, she finds her own way, I guess, of, well, this is how he sees it. He sees her as also selling out in a, in just a different way to how he might be selling out yeah. because, he, as he says, she's just selling the kind of art that rich people want to buy. I think something like that. And yeah. there's this idea that you can kind of be a sellout or you can be a hypocrite or you can be complicit as long as it's imperceptible, which is something which is it's quite interesting. And then that's obviously in harsh contrast with something you can't ignore which people then do ignore of a horse man hybrid being in your face yeah so we can um yeah exactly Maybe play with yeah. some like levels a bit or kind of levels of sound or just it, how how central we want a moment to be i suppose like that
1: and kind of i also quite i quite like the idea just coming back to this idea of sort of complacency complicity uh that kind of corporate feeling that's something that we can achieve in the theater i i, I was saying to jake before the podcast side i i felt almost a little bit unwell at the end of this film which i think is kind of part of the intended feeling you're meant to get because it's a lot of fun and it's and it's a wild ride but it's also like you come away and you're like oh my goodness that was some of that's disturbing and I think actually that that's uh you know your audience in the theater is 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 there to be captured because they're all sat in that room together and they have to be and they have and their only way to engage in the performance is to be there as part of it together and I think using that in exploring this idea of corporate complicity and part of it is like putting them in, in the desks. And part of it is maybe that the audience is forced to be sat in their seat whilst we're seeing the, um, the picket lines be broken over and over again. And the fact that the audience can't be invited into that is, is something that forces a feeling of complicity upon them. Um, and I think it's, re- it would be really interesting to, I'm not entirely sure how, but to play with that idea of, you know, scenes like the picket lines and like the scene yet yeah, in the art gallery where Tessa Thompson's kind of selling out, uh, herself is is trying to create a feeling that the audience can't get involved and that's an uncomfortable feeling for them because it's a feeling like they should get involved i'm not entirely sure how we do that but i feel like that that is something that the the theater is that's an opportunity to be taken that the film kind of does itself but you would do differently in the theater
0: yeah because i kind of imagine that you'd kind of force the audience to do the throwing in the gallery to throw the batteries and things at her
2: I was going to ask you guys what you thought about that scene because obviously that's the only scene where it is on a stage in the film and she's doing performance art, which is, yeah. actually, I don't know, it's it's a bit of a confusing scene. And I wondered what you thought about that in terms of, I wondered if either of you would say, oh yeah, we should actually make that interactive with the audience or not. Um, it's a bit of a weird one.
1: I think th- the challenge of that scene is that I I too immediately thought, can we invite the audience to be throwing new things at her? Uh, But (laughs) they they throw like actual phones and batteries and stuff at her. And obviously we can't do that on stage. I wonder if maybe it is that it's just, you know, it's just throwing the balloons of oil or, you know, is it of oil?
2: I think it's something idiosyncratic. I think it's like pig blood. I don't know what that has to do with minerals. Yeah, I know it is. Which I think was maybe.
1: I think it, yeah. Is it about like blood of labor? Yeah, maybe it is. Um, um yeah yeah but but I mean maybe maybe yeah I guess that's the, the worry is that we would kind of have to twist that metaphor yeah. a bit in trying to stage it that
2: scene to me is the one which I can't really put my finger on in terms of what it's communicating because you definitely get the impression that from Boots Riley's perspective it's meant to be really It's not meant to be hard hitting, it's meant to be kind of ridiculous. And she's reciting these few same lines from I don't know what it's from actually. I didn't recognise it.
1: Oh, she does say, but I can't remember. I yeah.
0: It's from a Motown film. Right, okay. That's
1: what And it
2: kind of it's almost like a caricature of, yeah, performance art and kind of or politic politicized performance art but obviously i'm from you know if you listen to any interview with him you will see like yes he very much is engaged with that specific issue that she's talking about which is the idea of kind of specific minerals and stuff that have yeah. been taken out of various parts of africa um to use for technology in the west and stuff so it's it's a really it's a really tricky one it's kind of like he's walking this fine line all the time between something he really believes and then almost sending up the means to expressing that
1: and and again it does it come down to a bit of the fact that she has to sell herself out sort of to do to to perform it in that way it's not the art that she kind of is seen to want to create earlier on in the film yeah i think there is a bit of that and i think that that's it's a hard scene to kind of play off because weirdly this scene that it is literally a performance is a live performance is probably the hardest one to kind of play off in the live performance context in some ways. Yeah. I do wonder about that, inviting the audience into it. I I do think that there's maybe a way of doing that, that, that that could work, but even if we don't, I think it is just that important thing of just making the, the audience feel as though they are included in, uh, the, wrong side of that so the people who are engaging and throwing the balloons and the, the phones and stuff and making you know and in the protest scenes making the audience feel as though they are part of the breaking the picket line rather than the being part of the picket line except maybe until the end when maybe you flip that around and i think maybe even part of how you do that with the mm-hmm. with the protest scenes is um well with the strike scenes even uh is you you have the Regal View uh, security come through the aisle down the middle of the audience to break the picket line or something like that, where it feels like they're coming from the audience as if they're part of that. I think that would be an interesting way of kind of including them in those moments.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I definitely think we would need to do something. I'm not big on audience interaction in general because I just like personally hate it. But at the same time, I think there are... (laughs) Um,
1: no, I agree. there are I moments agree,
2: yeah. which can kind of be more like uh voluntary i did have this like very it was like a yeah again another like late night concept that i don't know if it holds up but you know there's that moment at the very beginning of the film it's when he first starts to make his calls and in the film they actually they kind of physically drop his seat into various houses and i was going to ask you guys about that but i had this idea of like a few a few of the seats could maybe like have phones on them like in them um we could actually kind of be then calling but we don't have to actually use audience members like they could always just be planted in the audience or something
0: yeah I, i wanted to talk about that yeah
1: i love that i think what you do is you have them in a little cubicle but it says on the cubicle put down the phone when he calls you because you know and and so then the audience generally speaking, like Penn and Teller, the magicians talk about this. If generally speaking, when you involve an audience member, they will just do as they're told because they don't want to mess up the performance because that's more embarrassing for them. Yeah. And so I think actually, if you have these little cubicles that are some of the audience seats and they have little phones in them and you have a little sign up saying, you know, what, once, you, once you've once you answered the phone, put it down when he starts talking to you, then you can bring the audience in in that way and they can be a part of that, that moment. I was just going to say, I'm
0: personally not the biggest fan of this just because i see the i i like it as, a, as like a concept for getting the audience involved but i also see and maybe to do it for the first couple of times where they do just put it down straight away but this whole idea afterwards of the, what what those first two do that then is used throughout the film is this idea that that, that he's he's so good at this like being on the phone thing that he is as if he is right in front of them and it gets closer and closer. So he he's like lying on their sofa, smoking with them, chatting with them in the room with them until that very last one in Japan yeah. where he is, he's got the guy is on the toilet and he is in his face. Yeah. And I, and I think that kind of like, uh, that feeling that he manages to be in the room with them is so integral to building this idea of him as this like magical, amazing telemarketer that, I kind of feel like we have to find a way to actually I know it's 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 such a weird sentence but I feel like we have to find a way to actually put him right in front of them. So even if we do that with the audience, he needs to somehow be there with them. They need to be in the same space. I don't know. I I felt like that's really
1: important. Yeah. I yeah, I I agree. I I think maybe that then yeah, that's maybe we use it for the first couple to show him struggling at first, but then maybe we we do see him going into those spaces but yeah
2: and i think that's i agree that's why it doesn't necessarily work or in fact doesn't work to have it being actually pure genuine audience members i think just because as you say like at the end of the day like there's only so far that an audience member can go to interacting and i think what as you say we, what we want is to show that that chemistry and that connection yeah. rather than the awkwardness. So,
0: i mean so either we can have um, people run on and just Run on and be in the space. We could, if there's a trap door, we could have in front of the thing. If it has a, a fast enough crank, we can literally have like one piece of furniture, like the toilet, like the sofa that is on a platform that just comes up as if he's falling onto it, but it actually comes up to the stage and then goes down again.
1: I I think that that would be that would be the way I would do it. Yeah, yeah. Especially if we're using that cramped space towards the opening as well, and and actually, if it feels like it's just these little bits of furniture just popping up mm. in that small space that he can control
2: that would work yeah i remember now so, <laughs> <laughs> okay the reason i thought it would be useful to have say like um seats which kind of sort of look like cubicles ish just like in a really loose impressionistic way and then maybe some fake phones and maybe two or three ones that really did ring was so that we could do that one scene where they do phones down in their ah uh, yes yeah walk out yeah we, we can't actually stage the walkout but we we could actually stage them talking to the audience and saying then all they have to do is like pick up and put down but then I don't know you can by doing that the other thing I worry about is tone throughout the whole play I think you need to be careful not to stray into weirdly like after school special interactive
1: yeah but at the same time you you said up top there is a a a sense of pantomime about this and I wouldn't mind whilst we're in the lighter section of the film that first half and the less weird section I guess that you do involve the audience in a pantomime carnival-esque kind of Mm. moment
0: is that the lighter section i think so to, to me it's a it, overall it's a comedy of extreme and it starts off as a sort of a drama of of class and of race and and then it goes off in it to extreme places where it creates absurdities and there's comedy throughout yeah
1: i just I, I feel like having i guess the extremity that they push the character of cassius to um like i just the scene i think of is in Steve lifts house in the, in the party when they force Cassius to rap. Mm. And he basically has to rap like, cause he, he can't rap. He does. He's not someone who raps and he's like, no, you definitely do rap because you're black essentially is what he's saying. And then he, and then he basically just has to rap the N word over and over again. Cause that's the only way he can like engage these people. And that's what they want. And I felt like that pushes what we've seen so far to such an extreme and such a dark and disturbing place and then like it's literally a scene later that we get horse people introduced
2: i was gonna say i think that's definitely that scene that rap scene is so much the kind of the climactic scene in terms of the darkness of the yeah, film yeah yeah for sure mm, and true, then true. the scene after that with the horses is the climax of it both in terms of its comedy and in terms of its kind of horror
1: yeah it's the, so disturbing so- I just had no idea going in. and uh, Yeah, and I I was going to say the cubicle thing, that's another way we could use the cubicles is the moment he discovers the horse people is they're in cubicles and he doesn't see them at first. He just hears them. And actually, if we use those cubicles, they have audience members, but they also have plants. We could build a cubicle that's more hidden, like on the far corner of that. Right. And and that's where the horse person can come from. And that would be incredibly like, shocking be as an audience yeah. member, wouldn't it? Like you're sat there and then just the person next to you falls out of the cubicle as a horse person is pr- like pretty shocking. I think
2: particularly if we could, I don't know if it's too mean, but if we could make them be there for the whole rest of the play, if we could, so yeah. that person just thought, oh, it's just part of the, it's just part of the set. And yeah. then actually that, horse person has been in there
0: there are ways in without people noticing rather than making someone sit there for an hour but yeah that that would be really cool um yeah should we talk about a little bit about how we might achieve the horse person look
1: yes yeah yeah well you you said uh again i think it was before we started recording but you said that they look quite rubbery and Mm -hmm. i guess it, it has a feeling i felt like a sort of 80s like sort of body horror type yeah. feel to it in how rubbery they look and how kind of fake they look and i wouldn't mind involving that aesthetic in this production and there is obviously a is you know a way of doing that that isn't too hard of of, of these kind of big big rubbery almost cartoonish costumes but in a in a disturbing and quite shocking and uh like <laughs> horrible to look at <laughs> in some ways
2: i think we can make them grotesque yeah while still being humorous because i think that's basically like it's like carnivalesque kind of thing isn't it it's like anything which is designed to be simultaneously humorous and disturbing. and i think we can have costumes which are obviously oversized yeah and that look kind of they look sort of wet and like
1: and like they're on like you could put them on stilts slightly as well, so they yeah. are that much bigger. You yeah. just
2: need contorted rubbery faces and very good voice actors, I think. It's a...
0: Yeah, I think I mean, I think they'd have to be if you had that much mask on them, they'd have to, have to be mic'd. Right, yeah, yeah. And then you could put a distort on the on the channel, which would achieve that kind of hoarse sound, I guess. <laughs> Um,
2: because mostly they do just sound like distressed people right like
0: yeah absolutely um, which makes it work yeah yeah
2: Yeah. it's 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 obviously the hardest bit I think to get the mood right
1: yeah because and 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 to maintain that sense of suspending disbelief from the audience because I you know it is the moment where we ask the audience to take the biggest leap of logic and and to an extent as we talked about before it is a this is on the nose and this is over the top but also it is a kind of you are really we need you to accept that this guy's made horse people and that's part of this show
2: i was just gonna say i think it's interesting what genres people are willing to suspend their disbelief in and which areas they're not i think people maybe go into this film suspecting some kind of i don't know maybe they're expecting a bit of comedy but mainly social realism or something like that if you went to see a sci-fi film, which is essentially what this is doing, it's blending sci-fi with satire, you would be so ready to do anything you needed to do to get there emotionally. Um, so we just need to find a way of um hinting enough that people understand this is gonna be strange, this is gonna be surreal, it's gonna be abstract, but also why why not? Why why couldn't this be possible in this world that we've built?
1: yeah and the reason you accept it right is because the hour and a half well not quite that long the hour and ten leading up to it is weird in the visuals in the way that the set and the humans interact in the you know even just stuff like his flat Changing around him, it puts us in a place of oh, I'm ready to suspend my disbelief that bit further. You just need to push me.
0: Even in he starts even in that first scene when they, he pulls a massive trophy out from a space it couldn't possibly have fitted in. Yes. <laughs> that, yeah, that, is, that begins to engage yeah. us with that kind of this isn't yeah. real sort
1: of yeah. Feel. That cold open is so strong. I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: I was thinking that would work so well on stage. Those those interview scenes.
1: We have all the theatre magic to do that. That's yeah. great. I want to talk a little bit about how, I mean, there's not much to say about it, but just the the opportunities for stylized lighting in this production. There's the moment where he's been like properly like broken up with and then he's gone to the party and then he gets home and he's like tossing and turning in bed and there's all of the lights are kind of flickering on and off uh, above him. And it's just moments like that that I think that would look mm. so good on stage. And it's and there's no changes from what is happening in the film that we need to make, but it's just yeah. bringing uh, this feeling of, oh, let's really push the lighting and let's really push it into some weird areas.
0: Yeah, I really liked that bit. I also really liked the way when the garage door first flips open because we have no idea it's a garage. It looks like a normal wall Yeah, something flips up and the light comes in. I really liked that i uh really like the greens when we do, when we go into the horse kind of bathroom where he says i can't remember what shade of green he says jade i think it is jade yeah, yeah. jade and, and then he, he says oh that was the... obviously olive yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which i thought was hilarious and then the room itself is green as well and that whole kind of i don't know i don't really know again i i sometimes i i the message exactly goes over my head of what really that is trying to say but it's it's evocative. It it gives us it gives me an emotional response at least.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah I think that green lighting, green wall, kind of uh, t- tiled room that he finds the horse hybrid people in. I think for me, it just reminds me. It's it's so evocative of kind of like um, any any horror film we've seen set in like a psych ward or set in a hospital. It's that mm. kind of tiled like like it's it's a room designed to have blood in, right? It's like a room which it's meant to be cleaned down I think that's the kind of idea but with the lighting yeah one the only idea I had for that was that scene where he's speaking with I can't remember his name but the main union organizer for the first time and he kind of invites him squeeze and says squeeze right and he says you know we kind of need someone like you um and that the way they do that with the camera is then, increasingly gets closer and closer in just to their faces so it feels like a very intimate and secret kind of illicit conversation but i thought it'd be cool to have the light on the whole stage maybe then by the water cooler but then slowly bring that light in just so it's on their faces and the water cooler mm. and then and their voices getting lower and him getting increasingly shifty and increase, and i think we could do that on a few occasions, where it calls for close-ups, where it calls for intimacy, oh, and- the
0: moment when they are arguing and compliments is amazing. Oh, I it's love incredible! It so yeah. Oh, they're just I love that. screaming I love compliments that. at exactly. each other. It's so strange to watch.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then uh, Danny Glover's like, "Okay, guys, it <laughs> <laughs> it's just," uh, <laughs> I love that. And and it is those moments where it's moments where you're taking a the audience beyond the realms of reality, one of the ways you can do that is by going, well, we know we're beyond the realms of reality because the lighting isn't natural. It's weird. And, and that is information. The audience doesn't even like need to be told. It just, it it filters through as, Oh, I know this is, this is a strange uh, otherworldly experience that I'm experiencing right now with this character and I, I think there's yeah like you say like, like loads of opportunities for that the other thing I wanted to mention as well is the music in this film the music is so well used it's all original yeah. isn't it
2: yeah so I think so because yeah yeah I think it's, it's all by, by him because Boots yeah because Boots Riley obviously is from like the coup and they I think they were involved or I think it's I think it's primarily him but I think they were involved in the soundtrack too the soundtrack is in insane. It's, it's so good, so immersive.
1: I, I just, I just how integral and how immersive it is and and bringing that in, whether we do that with live performance or just use that, you know, use the pre-recorded soundtrack we already have, it, it doesn't matter. But it, I think that it's just important to acknowledge the place that that would need to have in a production.
2: Now, I was hoping that you would mention that in terms of the importance of it being immersive and stuff, because I think it, it would work to have at least a few songs being somewhat live performed. Like, yeah. Said, um, it would be so cool to have instruments involved.
1: And as we've talked about a lot, you can have those bands on stage these days. Like, it's just orchestra pits aren't a thing anymore. And you can bring that band on, on stage however you want, whether they're in the cubicle stuff that we talked about or they're up the back. Yeah, or, in the cubicle. Yeah, there. I mean, that all works. And I think it's so important to have, have that presence within the the show because I, like you said like you said it is kind of pantomime but it is also kind of got the feel of a musical in the way that it moves in the sort of the, the almost lyricism in, in, in the way the scenes progress
2: I mean I saw um, I think Caleb I know you use Letterboxd I don't know mm. if, you, if Jake used well but I I saw a thing on it the other day and I was quite happy because it was after I'd already kind of committed myself to this film for the podcast and it was someone saying yeah this is going to be a like a fully fully great musical on Broadway in like the next five years, kind of thing, yeah, and I was like, actually, yeah, because I don't know in my head, I have all these images of like you could even have like the horse hybrid people do like a dance number or something, like oh you just yeah, do, you could just do so many like weird things i like I remember you guys were talking about in the ex machina or machina episode, how you say it, about that how that dance scene is so disturbing and and dance can really have the capacity when it sets the right music and when you've got the right lighting and stuff to really get under people's skin and stuff. So I think it could be a, a musical of a very kind of like a horror musical or like a kind of Yeah. Which yeah makes makes me think of people like David Lynch 'cause he he's a big fan of using kind of using music in upsetting scenes in that kind of way and yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I, I'm not sure if I'd wanna push it as far as like a full no, blown song. But no. uh but uh but I think yeah, even even like those those scenes with the with the uh strike and and bringing an element of dance or movement into that and then when the horse people come in as a kind of Deus Ex machina type moment at the end having that kind of set to music and have movement and and dance as a sort of element of that and i think that that would be an opportunity to to see them in a new light because that the whole point at the end well sort of part of the point at the end uh especially in the post credits when we see cassius becomes uh one of the horse people is is that actually there is kind of it's not that it, there's kind of nothing like that experience of becoming a horse person there's like nothing wrong with that and there's there's a new experience in that and i think actually seeing them in a new light within that scene as they're kind of graceful and there's a and we see the strength of them would yeah. be a really interesting way of kind of flipping what we've seen so far that so far they've been this sort of body horror like in the basement like feel to them and flipping that at the end would be quite interesting
0: yeah and also this assumption that they they must have lost their intelligence when they become horses and then we see that they actually haven't
1: yeah um yeah. Can we talk
0: about that just before that end bit? The the kind of fight strike where they call like he breaks the horses out and, and kind of calls them in. And we see that in the film through this kind of slit, um, which obviously is good for production value, keeping it down, and also to kind of we don't exactly know what's happened. At some point the horses have kind of won in some way and stopped the people going to work and crossing the picket line. We can't give the audience a slit to look through. So what does that look like, that moment on stage for us? Obviously, again, he gets knocked out and then we wake up with him. Again, we can't do that.
1: I think you can have him knocked out and then when he wakes up, you use this kind of stylized like lighting where it's sort of coming on and off like in different areas of the stage and as he mm, sees like not not quite strobe but like different areas are lit at different moments and as he sees those areas we have a choreographed moment of action between one of the horse people and one of the security and and as it moves across the stage it's like, it's like he's waking up from being knocked out there's the blurriness of that mm-hmm. and we draw the audience attention to this part of the stage and then this part of the stage and then this part of the stage and we choreograph that all as like one sort of swift motion so it's kind of reducing the audience where the audience places their attention without having to like try and force their view through a, a slit in a van like like they have in the film
0: that sounds good yeah I, I like that decision sorry no I was just yeah I was just seeing if, if like, I don't need to <laughs> I,
2: think that's, I think that's really good But and I was going to ask you about what you both thought of the ending in general because that feels to me like It comes to a kind of natural conclusion when they're just looking at the horses kind of breaking out and they're kind of just staring in slight disbelief as they walk off. It kind of felt like a natural conclusion. And then we do have a following scene after that in the film where he goes back to his old but new garage living space with his girlfriend, which... I, I don't know, like, I just, I'm not sure if to me that felt like the natural conclusion of the film or not.
1: Yeah, I think that would kind of be, I guess, almost like my one criticism of the film really would be, I don't fully understand why, you know, Boots Riley would choose to include that because it felt like that's a whole other like element of the story that to develop in that character. And because it comes right at the end of the film, we don't get to see that development. Um, and it's kind of teasing us with more than we will ever find out. And I, I think there's probably he's probably trying to say something with that in that, like, oh, you thought the character had grown as much as he could. Like, they literally are, like, they're walking back into the garage and... Cassius in Detroit are having a conversation about his character arc through the film, essentially. Like, it's almost as on the nose as that. And then, and then it's like, oh, there's, there's more growth that he has to go through. But I also think why...
2: We should, should we just say, like, as in, for anyone who hasn't seen it, literal, physical growth as he seems to then transform into one of the horse people. So, it's as, it's as literal as
1: that, yeah. E- exactly. And I, I wonder what, maybe what the value is in including that moment when you could, cause at the end of the film, you can then have that little post credit scene and it's kind of like, Oh, I can kind of see where this might go, but actually on stage we don't have the opportunity to really do that.
2: Right. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And I think,
0: I think indie films have this struggle that maybe 10 pole studio films don't have a lot of the time in finding kind of like, well, we've got, we've only got an hour and a half, an hour and 45 minutes where is this going where is the end because we've got this we normally you start with this great concept this great idea and you don't maybe think when you start writing how what you're going to conclude um because i'm thinking of you know scott pilgrim has four different possible endings and they just kind of picked one at the last minute ladybird people are often disappointed how it kind of doesn't seem to really end uh this film like the kind of uh, and those are some of the massive massive hits and this kind of idea of like of how do you round something off but also in Engage with the fact that stories are supposed to take place within a reality that continues after the camera turns off. Whereas you know a lot of big tentpole studio films, they they feel like they, because they're kind of made for the mass audience, that they can just kind of say no, that's the ending, and everyone's happy, um, unless there's a sequel sort of thing, which which I feel like I've kind of noticed. As i've watched more films recently the kind of indie films tend to struggle with more because they're not thinking in terms of like oh maybe we can build a franchise out of this they're thinking in terms of this is a complete story in the inner world that we want to leave created for people to to appreciate and i think maybe maybe there's that sense that like if you leave it with like okay and then the horses lived happily ever after along the humans like i i was scared for a moment that they were going to start attacking him after they opened the door i don't know whether you had that feeling um that maybe he'd got it all wrong and actually he they they'd been turned evil i guess that wouldn't still that still wouldn't really be him getting it all wrong but like releasing them was a bad idea or something like that and so like i guess it it, it leaves this world that can have more exploration i guess
1: yeah i think so and also there was a moment where i thought when he hit his nose i thought he was going to be a fake out and he was going to be pretending and then it would that's be that's why exactly right I and i thought it, it was going to be a joke it going to be i
2: was like oh this is so prank yeah, okay. yeah yeah it's a big old um, prank
1: and in some break. ways i like yeah. that boots riley committed and that he's like no this isn't a prank you know <laughs> i'm not i'm not gonna do a fake out at the end of the film but i don't i don't know how well that transfers onto stage um and i don't i don't know how how much that that leaves to explore or whether we try and spend some time exploring it i don't know i was
2: gonna say yeah i think if we were to stage it it'd be worth having like a kind of writer's room situation where you just brainstorm different ways that this universe could theoretically kind of be tied up at the end, because that is the part of the film, which for me isn't fully satisfying is that is the last, there's last few scenes. And I think for anyone coming to see it likely that they will have seen the film. So it'd be cool to give them a little something else, something that's just for the play. Yeah. I don't whatever that
1: would be. Yeah. Um I, I think that there's maybe a way of or maybe even a way of uh you know, we we see him turn into the horse hybrid on stage, which, you know, is not completely beyond the realms of reality because there's a play called Rhinoceros in which someone turns into a rhino on stage. There's, you know, it's been that kind of stuff done. I wonder if maybe we have that, and then instead of just this tiny post credit scene, we actually see, you know, we start again and there's there's a build up towards you know, we them going after Steve Lift Army Hammer, uh, uh, Army Hammer's character. It then becomes something else entirely, doesn't it? And then that's and that's a new beast to kind of wrestle with. Yeah, yeah. Do you have a thought for that, Colette?
2: Yeah, where, where we would place the break. I mean, where the midpoint of the film, I suppose, is like, what is the midpoint of the film?
1: Well, I I think the midpoint, like in terms of exact timing, although you don't always do that for an interval, is, is uh, just after he's got the big job and he's kind of semi-broken up with Detroit, but before he goes to her art show. So he's already transformed his flat and he's got the big job and he's kind of accepted that he's selling out. And that's kind of that point. I I don't mind that as as a breaking point, but I think you would need to find some kind of climax, whether that be, you know, we end it on Mr. Blank has told Cassius, oh, we're going to this party tonight. And he's like, okay, I got to go to this art show first. And we end it there. Or you end it at the end of the art show where he's choosing to then go to the party instead. I don't know, something around there.
0: Yeah, I mean, ju- just before that, just before that conversation, we, we kind of have this kind of little montage where they keep saying how great he is, and they keep pouring champagne on him, and the and outside the the protests get larger and larger and larger and larger, and we kind of keep flipping between those two images, and then that that might be able to build to some kind of some kind of climax that we can stop at
1: that's definitely imagine having him in the center of the stage having champagne poured all over him being celebrated and like that's really a rising in in noise or even and then and her in, breaking up with him in that position perhaps and then that being it yeah. yeah
2: yeah i think that works really well and obviously because we can like rejig and move the script a bit if we want to i think it'd be really fun to leave the interval just as he says in his white voice I got to buy me some new suits or whatever. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. I think that'd be like a really fun place to leave it because we could, like you say, also have the protests like mounting outside, the the strike mounting outside and that noise kind of coming in and then that voice, the kind of like voice of God thing kind of coming. And the way we see it become his default where he wakes up with her
0: and he uses that voice
1: Automatically with that, and not his. That
2: would be a great way of opening. Yeah, second
1: act, yeah. Actually, yeah, right,
2: yeah. yeah. Her being like, "Can you please stop doing that?"
1: Yeah, and he's like, "Oh, I didn't even realize <laughs> that's so good." Yeah, yeah that's, that's good. great. Okay, well, I think I think we've covered kind of everything I yeah, I wanted yeah. to talk about. I think that that's that's kind of staged. It is is a wacky film, and I think it would be a, yeah. a challenge, but I think it would work, and I think it would be an exciting experience for an audience member.
2: Yeah, and just to kind of like. I guess in my mind as well as I was watching I thought, you know what, yeah, like this if you were staging, it's all about leaning into the batshit and just kind of, just going for it. So just to finish on, just in terms of, yeah, like visually I think you just want to do where things, you want to like shrink things and enlarge things, you want to have like, you know who flips over the hourglass at one point maybe yeah. that could be massive you could have like you've got buttons in the lift um, oh i love that when he's like 20 an elaborate digit sequence. <laughs> yeah. yeah an elaborate sequence to get up to the power cooler floor you know that could maybe that could be like in a weird scale you could so all these kinds of things i think just make, just go for it just make it big yeah make it strange yeah, yeah. yeah. i can I like see that. it yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> uh cool um well okay uh Colette, where can people find you online?
2: Well, just go on. Um, if you just go on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, or whatever, and type in Oxide Film, there'll be some more stuff coming up there. Um, we have some exciting people who we've kind of got penciled in, so fingers crossed that all comes through later in the summer. Um, a few directors and critics, as usual. But other than that, Twitter's a Twitter's a dangerous place. I I don't, I don't go there. So. <laughs> Uh, a
0: wise decision which Caleb has not made where can people (laughs) find you online
1: Caleb? (laughs) (laughs) I'm on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Caleb Lebster C-A-L-E-B-L-E-B-S-T-E-R Jake where can people find you online? You can
0: find me on Twitter at Jake Reesh. that's J-A-K-E-R-E-E-S-H and this is the Maybe You Like It podcast and we are Maybe You Like It Productions you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Maybe You Like It that's with a text speak U that's just the letter U or you can find us on Facebook at maybe you like it production as that's with the word you or you can visit our website at www.maybeyoulikeit.co.uk or drop us an email at info at maybe you like uh, and if you liked listening to this or uh, our, any of our other episodes then do tell your friends share us around give us a rate on your podcasting platform we'd we'd love to hear from you sounds and colette thank you so much for coming on that was that was really really fun
1: yeah, thank you very yeah, much. Thank yeah, you guys for
2: good. for having me on. It was it was good. It was weird. Yeah,
0: it. yeah. Watch watch <laughs> the film if you can. If you haven't if you haven't seen it by the end yeah. of this episode, I'm sure you're compelled to work out what the hell we're talking about. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's on now TV at the moment uh, and Sky. Um, cool. Well, maybe you liked that. Maybe you didn't.
1: That was a maybe you like it production.
2: Maybe you liked it. Maybe you didn't.